What's going on? This is Mr. Schoolhouse. Man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling astonishing. I'm feeling great. You know why I'm feeling great, guys? Because the Schoolhouse podcast is jumping. All right, guys, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> it has been a while. The last time I did a podcast, guys, it was in the beginning of November. Um, I think I did a I did a podcast live in the classroom in New York. So that was really fun and exciting. So you guys are more than welcome to check out some of that footage on the Schoolhouse podcast Instagram page. And I will say, guys, honestly, uh, man, one of the reasons it has been a while for me because school was crazy. School was crazy. That is a story for another day. But so today I want to go ahead and get into the show. Look, guys, we're going to have a good time. I'm telling you guys, we're going to have a good time, some laughter, you know, some seriousness, some some good wisdom, some good insight to help you professionally. But also we want to have a good time on this show. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into it. I will allow my guest to introduce herself. (laughs) Hello. Hello. First, thank you so much for inviting me into the schoolhouse, Mr. Schoolhouse. Um, I'm Isis Clay and I am a an arts teacher. I'm a theater teacher. I am an educational consultant, a keynote speaker, and a professional actress and director. So I'm really, really interested and, and, and excited to get into this conversation today about some of the work that um, I think is super important um, when it comes to educators and um, a little bit about my journey. Okay, okay, okay. So let's let's go ahead and kick things off. I know that you mentioned that you are into emotional resilience. That was that was your thing. So can you kind of explain and elaborate what is emotional resilience? What does that look like in the education space? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um. So emotional resilience is really the the ability to respond to stressful and unexpected situations. Um, and we know in the in the school and classrooms, that's what we deal with every day. Um, to kind of frame this, though, I'd love to, to tell a little bit about um, what brought me into emotional resilience, this work and how um, how I built you know, uh, Sculpted Clay Productions, which is my company. So, um, like I was saying, if, if that's okay. Go ahead. You got it. Yes, <laughs> okay, cool. Got it. Cool, cool, cool. I, um, uh, I went to school for theater. I was a theater major. Um, I had no intentions of being an educator. And, yeah, none at all. <laughs> none at all. Um, but I, after graduation, I moved to the Washington, D.C. area. And I realized that I needed... Um, some stability because I had two babies and I had a husband and I wanted to make sure that, you know, of course, family was first and family needed to be taken care of. So um, while I was waiting for gigs to roll in, I started teaching. And um, my very first teaching job was at the Maryland Department of Juvenile Justice, which is now the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services. And they brought me in. Again, I have no teaching background. I know nothing about teaching at all. I knew theater. Um, but I went up for this this job and they were like, wait, oh, we don't have any theater classes. You could teach theater for us. That's awesome. I was going for an English teacher because that's what they had uh, that asked for. So I came in and I realized very quickly that, again, I knew nothing about teaching. 
but I knew everything about connecting because as a theater practitioner, that's what we do. Um, we dig deep um, into character work, realizing the humanness in that character and, and the um, connections that we may have with the characters in order to play them. And so I loved it. I fell in love with teaching, even in um, the situation in which I was teaching in. Have you ever seen The, the Wire? The Wire? No, no. I've seen Wait on Me, though. I don't know. <laughs> so not quite lean on me. Um, okay. This was juvenile justice. So the the students who were in the um, institution in which I taught were had been arrested for whatever uh, mm -hmm. that you know that they had um, they said that they had committed, and so they were waiting for court dates or placement into group homes, that kind of thing. Um, so it's kitty jail. Right. Um, and uh, I found this, this sense of connection, but what they don't and didn't at the time teach or give professional development on was trauma. And this was at the time. This was many, many years ago. This was like almost 17 years ago. We weren't talking about trauma in schools. Right. And so we're talking about my very first teaching assignment was in the most traumatic uh, environment, you know, all of these young people who were dealing with traumatic situations. And um, unfortunately, I lost a couple of students um, to street violence, you know, once they get out of the institution and, you know, you you try to um, to encourage them and give them a positive way of living. Life comes back and that's what happened. And so I left there and I went to a uh, performing arts school thinking I was running away, right? Going to the exact opposite, going from kitty lockup to fame, right? In my mind, um, not realizing that it was some of the same issues mm. that were happening. But again, no one addresses, when things happen in school, right? When things happen in school, the first thing that they'll say, the voice on the intercom, they'll say, you know, this has happened. If anyone needs to talk, grief counselors will be available to you or there'll be counselors available to you. Right. And students at any other time, at any time can raise their hand and say, yo, I need to go see the counselor. Mm. And then what happens? We write the note, of course, send them to, to see the counselor. When do the teachers get an opportunity? to address those things. Because mm. during our planning period, what are we doing? We're mm. planning, right? planning, right? We're planning, we're meeting, life still goes on. And mm. so we never get an opportunity to deal with the emotional weight that comes with the classroom. Mm. And, and you know, I'm talking about, you know, issues that happen, but on a daily basis. Mm. In our classroom, we can have multiple students who are dealing with trauma. Mm. Right? Not even to talk about ours, but we have multiple students who are dealing with trauma. And there's this thing um, to kind of wrap this up. I was that teacher that students felt comfortable coming to talk to, mm. you know, coming to to tell about these traumas and, and to kind of talk them through. And so I would absorb, 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 absorb. And I never had an opportunity or never took the opportunity to lay those down. 
and it ended up ultimately taking me out of the classroom um, in 2018. Um, I didn't realize until later that there was a word for it. Um, there was actually two. We talk about burnout all the time, but yeah. we don't talk about vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue. And that's what my work uh, deals with now is building that emotional resilience so that we can um, cope with compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma. Okay, okay. I wanna I wanna hold hold tight to those two terminology, two okay. that you just used, because I wanna okay. revisit that. You know, I know that you mentioned about the trauma part um that is more common nowadays. Like I think even now just in society, mental health is just a really is is becoming it's becoming bigger, and especially in the black community, more people are talking about trauma. Uh, I gotta keep it 100. It's crazy, right? Because the the mental health aspect has grown tremendously in the schools and in society. And I can tell because, you know, I can't even remember. Like, I was telling my, my grandma one day that, um yeah, me and my wife, we go to therapy. She was like, so, what, y'all getting divorced? I'm like, no, grandma, we just going to therapy just just to right. get help. <laughs> like, right. Right. I, like, I mean, there's no big or small thing. So I think like what you were saying to your point is that, you know, yeah, back then, I don't think like trauma, mental health, like addressing these things, big or small, was just like in dialogue and conversation and people creating movements and things like that around that. So absolutely. It was actually taboo. Right. Was, yeah. and, and the black community was actually taboo to talk about. We don't do that. We don't we don't talk to people about our. No, no, no. We keep that stuff at home. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, that's they, they will say um, what goes on in this house stays in this house. That's what they <laughs> that's what they would say. So yep. as um, you know, I want to go back to, you know, you saying you were working in the juvenile center. Yeah. Walk me through. If you don't mind, do you have any experience that you saw that was crazy that she was like, yo, this is wow. Like, whoa, like what what just happened? Like, cause I know some crazy, I never worked in a juvenile, but I know I know some crazy stuff happened. Do you, do you mind sharing some of some some of those experiences? Oh my gosh. Um so <laughs> one of the things that um stands out the most it was it was around christmas it was around christmas break right before christmas break mm -hmm. and um the center in which i was teaching at the time had different kind of houses think of it like houses different um and so the houses were broken up either in um age mm -hmm. so you had like the younger students in one house and you had the older students there was also students that were strictly kind of from Baltimore City, and they had kind of their own house. And then you had uh, students who were closer to DC and they had their own house. And these are the older boys. Um, the, it was regulated that no house move at the same time. No, no house could be on the yard at the same time. So if one cottage was going to lunch, then no one else should be outside except that one cottage. 
mm. as they go into lunch. And then once they get there, then another cottage can go to class, you know, and move. So to kind of keep things separated was very institutional mm. and it was very sad and, and, you know, a little scary. Well, miscommunication happened and two cottages were on the yard at the same time. And there was a huge, huge riot that happened right before Christmas, mm. a huge riot. Um, where they had to bring in the state police they brought in. I mean, it was, the, the riot went on for almost 24 hours. Oh, and this was after school. So I had already left for the day. And I'm looking at the news and I'm like, wait, yo, that's my school. Oh, and I'm, so school CNN, on the news. Oh. I'm looking at not just the local news, I'm looking at CNN. Oh. And I'm like, oh, that's my school. And so they, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. The, um, like I said, it was right before Christmas break. So we hadn't gone on Christmas break yet. Um, but they canceled all classes for a week because the riot, they ended up uh, tearing down cottages, not tearing down, but tearing up cottages. And it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. So that was probably the craziest thing that happened um but again it was for me it was very very sad because when we're talking youth um the conditions in which they were at the time um held in was just not conducive to children and not conducive to the situation and and of course like i said they were waiting court dates for uh potential crimes that they had committed but when you're looking at them and we're talking 11 year olds yeah we're talking you know all the way the youngest one was nine and the my oldest student was 21. wow i was so what grades did they go up to did they go all the way up to high school yeah Oh, okay. Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha, you. Gotcha. Yeah. So there were uh, some of the students who had juvenile life. Um, yeah. So they were, yeah. It, it, for that to be the first, my first foray into education, I learned a lot, for good and for bad. Right. Again, because the amount of trauma that was there and present in that situation was just was just crazy um i ended up using my art as a way of healing um like i said i was a theater major and so when i left the classroom in 2018 um i wrote a solo show oh, wow. and that solo show talks about some of the and you know some of the instances that happened in the juvenile detention facility some of the instances that happened in um the performing arts uh, school, of course, protecting the innocent, um, of course, protecting the guilty. I don't use any names or anything like that. Right, right. Um, gotta keep the names out. Gotta keep the names out. Yeah, hey. but it, it was more more important to me to tell a true story of what teachers really go through on the emotional side of things. So we again, we talk all the time about burnout and the amount of the workload is ridiculous. Mm. What we weren't talking about was the anxiety that a lot of teachers feel um, 
when we come across students who are experiencing homelessness or who are experiencing food scarcity. Um, some teachers are able to deal with it in, you know, in a very regulated way, but other teachers become hyper empathetic and they start again absorbing all of these things and they can't shut it off when they go home. Mm. They can't shut it off or the opposite that empathy wall just comes crashing down and they don't care anymore. They don't even see the human in front of them. As long as you don't cause me trouble, I don't care. Yeah. As long as you sit in my classroom and you sit quietly, I don't even care what you're going through. It don't matter. Just don't give me trouble. Right, right. And neither one of them are where we really want to be um, and not the human we wanted to be when we started education. And so, again, I, I work with that. And I think, school, like, you know, oftentimes, you know, the way I see things or the way that I evaluate things is what's big right now is that, like we talked about mental health, right? Yeah. See, there's a lot of programs and funds that are put into students for their emotional development. Like you got the social emotional learning. Social emotional learning is so big right now. Yep. You know, um, yep. and it's important. It's important. Don't get me wrong. And I think that it's important to make sure that students are, they have the emotional development skills to be successful as an individual because it's like a wholesome like type of perspective and angle to help them emotionally. However, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, how often do you hear about educators having emotional resilience? Like I, I, I used to work for a program that was, um, that was social emotional learning, like strong base. It was actually a very fun. It was a great program, but it was just tailored mainly for majority of the time for kids. You know what yeah, I mean? But absolutely. adults go through life too. Like they have hard times too. So like, absolutely. Like, kind of talk about like how can you help somebody? You know, when they're when 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 educators are dealing with sadness or they're they're burnt out or tired. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, and and I, I can't agree with you more. When I first started this work, um, what I heard often was they're adults. Mm. They should be able to deal with their stuff. They're adults. And I'm like, clearly you have not been in a classroom. Clearly, you know, you're you're assuming we, you mm. know, when we put these uh, socially emotional uh, learning uh, curriculum out for teachers to to give to students we're assuming that the teachers are well and that was a an assumption that both you and i know not is not always true it's right. not always true especially now and so one of the ways that i approach it is first and foremost giving the language mm. um we again I, I keep saying this you know we talk about burnout and we all know burnout and so as teachers we we use that term as a catch-all phrase, honestly. I'm feeling unwell, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling overly, overly uh, empathetic. I'm feeling not, not empathetic at all, whatever. It's because of burnout. Mm. And it's really important for us to understand that there, again, I talked about burnout, compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. And there's three different ways to approach those. So let's talk about burnout. Burnout is a breakdown in systems. 
whether it is a breakdown in the system at large, you know, the system, educational system, or even personal systems. So I overcommit and I ignore my boundaries. That's a systemic, a systemic problem that I have for myself, right? Mm. Which can lead to burnout. So let's talk about, you know, a principle, um, canceling several meetings um, in order and, you know, and putting them in an email instead of having the meeting. That may help with burnout because now I get a little bit of time back, right? But it won't help with compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma. What are those? I, what do you mean by that, by the way? So compassion fatigue, and thank you for asking. Compassion fatigue is when that that empathy wall comes down and you don't care anymore. Okay. I've absorbed so much trauma or I have been exposed to so much that now I don't have anything else to give. Mm, got you, got you, got I don't you. have anything else to give. That's compassion fatigue. And then you have vicarious trauma on the other end of the spectrum where you have absorbed, 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 and now you're hyper empathetic. You are, and, and it, uh, symptoms can feel almost like PTSD even if you haven't gone through them. So for an example, I had several students who self-harmed when I was in the classroom. And um, in my mind, I've never self-harmed, but in my mind, I equated that with suicide ideation. And so every time over the, the, over the weekend, I would worry and I would worry so bad that I couldn't even sleep. I was losing sleep. I was lo- you know, not able to eat because I was so worried and so consumed with the traumas of my students. And that's vicarious trauma. Mm. That neither one of those two can be fixed with making a meeting an email. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Um, you can't fix compassion fatigue the same way you would fix or or heal from compassion fatigue the same way you would heal from vicarious trauma. And so by starting and giving educators the correct language, um, mm. first and foremost, there's that. There's also a couple of um, assessments, um, self-assessments that you can give yourself to kind of see, all right, where am I falling? I thought it was burnout, but it's not really burnout because I don't have a whole lot on my plate and things are going well. Why am I so anxious? I'm calling it burnout. No, it's because X, Y, and Z. And so you can have take those assessments. Um, yeah, that would be mm. the, the main thing, the first thing. So the language. Mm, I mm-hmm. got you. Knowing exactly what you're dealing with. Mm, I pick up on what you're saying. So I know you mentioned a little bit about your education consulting work. So when you go into, so like how how do you consult? Let's let's start there in terms of like with 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 your with emotional resilience. How do you consult with that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, I, I mentioned about the solo show. Um, I give professional development, well, it's a couple of things that I do. I give professional development to schools. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way. And the solo show is actually the first session of the professional development. It's very short. Um, and I couple that with a facilitation on, okay, so what are you feeling? So they look at my journey dealing with burnout at, at times, dealing with compassion fatigue at times, and then vicarious trauma. And then we get an opportunity, or they get an opportunity to self-assess in that first session. 
And then there are three more sessions where we go deeper over the, the course of either a year or course of a half a year um, where using my magic framework, I call it magic, magic is an acronym, using my magic framework, um, helping teachers, uh, not just teachers, because I also work with uh, principals, educators really dig into how they can shore themselves up and how they can uh, boost up their emotional resilience um, using this magic framework. Mm. You mentioned like the self, the self-assessing, the self, mm -hmm. self-assessment test. So that test pretty much when they when educators take this test, it's it's a it's to show them where like can you can you elaborate on that again? Explain yeah, it. Again. What, what's the self-assessment? Yeah, absolutely. It shows them their compassion fatigue, their compassion satisfaction, and their burnout scores. So it's a series of 20 questions. Gotcha. And they answer the questions. And depending on how they answer the question, we'll tell them where they fall on the burnout scale, the compassion fatigue scale, or the compassion satisfaction scale. And so what happens is during the, uh, profession, the series of professional developments, we take that uh, self-assessment several times. And we look at and reflect on, okay, so what's happening now? What can we do using this five point method, this magic method in order to get our scores up, get our compassion satisfaction score up and our compassion uh, fatigue score down? Got you. And I, I kind of want to elaborate on, I kind of take it back just a little bit, okay. right? Um, I know that you, one of the things that you mentioned was that you left the classroom if I'm saying this correctly, it was because you were taking on a lot of the the trauma that students were venting to you about. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah um, the the last thing was I lost one of my students, um, another student. And during, throughout my career, um, I've unfortunately lost a lot of students. And the last one was to cancer. And I talk about how that moment kind of broke me inside yeah. emotionally and I realized that I wasn't the teacher that I used to be or the teacher that I wanted to be mm. and so I needed to kind of step away um whenever I get to the point oh I told myself whenever I got to the point where I was no longer feeling like I was helping or I was no longer able to again be the teacher that I wanted to be then it was time to kind of step away and that was what I did mm. And so you stepping away, do you feel do you feel more freedom in that? Like how like how's your mental health now that you've been able to kind of step away from taking on the trauma of other students? Yeah, that that's a, a multi-layered question. Um because at first I felt a huge sense of guilt. Mm. And I realize now, you know, talking to other teachers who made that, that step as well, that guilt is something serious, that educator guilt. Wow. Um, now, I feel, I don't know if I would use the word freedom. I miss my classroom. I miss my students. I call them my unicorns. I miss my unicorns um, tremendously. And I was having a conversation with an educator recently, and she reminded me to kind of doctor take thy medicine um, because what's happened now is my work with educators dealing with trauma 
I hear about their trauma all the time. And so making sure that I, I put those things in place, um, that I've learned those, those tools in place so that I don't fall down that rabbit hole again with a different audience this time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, so you're putting like boundaries and things into place. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's important, man. The work the work that you're doing is so important because one of the things that I saw was um when I when I originally started this podcast, one, I'm not I'm not I'm actually an undergrad right now. But yeah, I was able to see I was like a lot of teachers were leaving um during COVID. And I mean, it was all over the media. People, I've seen teachers, they were going on strike because they wasn't getting paid enough. Yeah, it was a lot. And I was saying, dang, man, like we need teachers. We need people in the classroom, man. Like every every great doctor, every great millionaire, everybody has had that, that teacher. I'm pretty sure at least that one teacher that made a difference in their lives or said something that was encouraging or yeah. uplifting, or that was optimistic. And so just to see the work that you're doing is great about, you know, emotional resilience because the community needs it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. And I, I, you know, my husband is a, well, was an educator as well. And okay. for, for many, many years, and we've had this conversation a lot, how those teachers, those teachers that you're talking about, the ones that um, have made a difference, the ones that speak life into children, the ones who <clears throat> are the strong teacher. Right. Those are the ones we leave to their own devices, I'll, I'll say, mm. because they got it together, we think. Oh, uh-huh. they're the strong mm-hmm. one. They got it together. No, we need to make sure that they there are things in place so that we can keep them and that yeah. they can stay, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I feel like I was one of those teachers, you know, yeah. for, for over 15 years. Uh, again, I have students who still are in my life that, mm. I, that I taught many, many years ago who are in my phone right now, you know, and call me, on, you know, on a regular basis to make, you know, update me on what they're doing. Um, one of my students just got married yesterday, you Ooh, know. on that. Yes, yes, I love it. I love watching them grow. And I love knowing that they still want to keep me connected with their life, that I made a, a difference in that kind of way. Um, I want to make sure that this, the teachers who are doing that now in the classroom can stay in the classroom and stay that dope teacher that they are Um even in the midst of the the weight, the emotional weight of the classrooms. You know, we, we talk about curriculum all the time, but we don't talk about the the other things that comes so, with education. And I think too, like you were taking on a lot, of, you were taking on a lot of that trauma that students were dealing with. Um, and there was another educator that I actually had a conversation with that was doing the same thing. And that was that burnt her out and that, caused her to leave for a while and I think she came back, you know, but I guess like my question is for you, when you saw that this trauma was, you know, burning you out and it was you taking this on, what would, have you ever thought, what, what did a question come to your mind to say, okay, how can I, cause now you have 
parameters and boundaries now, but back then when you was like in the midst of that, did you did you ask yourself or did somebody say, hey, have you ever thought about putting parameters or boundaries up? No, no sir. No, sir. As a matter of fact, I want the exact opposite. And we t- I talk about this in my professional be- development, the ego of the teacher. Mm, okay. um, the ego. And I personally <laughs> fell down the rabbit hole of that ego. Like, it, it has to be me. Like, oh. I have to be that person for these students. I have to, because if I don't, who's going to do it? They're, they're mm-hmm. coming to me for a reason. It's mm-hmm. me. It's me. I have no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold up, Hancho. Let's back up a little bit. You know, so, and it was this, that kind of ego mm. um, that I talk about. And so, I, you know, I, I mentioned this five framework, this magic framework. And again, it's an acronym. Um, one of those, the A, I'm sorry, the, uh, the G stands for guarding yourself against your work, defining who you are. Mm, talk about that. Okay. And... I go into schools all the time and I ask teachers, I have this, this, this uh, slide uh, on a presentation and it says, teaching isn't, isn't what I do is who I am. Mm. Teaching isn't what I do is who I am. And so I always ask, I was like, how many people um, agree with this? How many people agree with this? And at least 80% of the hands shot, you know, they shoot up me. I, I, I agree with this. There is a danger in equating the very important work that we do with who we are as a person. Mm. Because when we do that, our boundaries blur. That's mm. one of the reasons our boundaries blur. Mm. The other thing now in this very, very political uh, season that we're in and have been in for a long time where educators are the enemy yeah for a lot of 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 people or education as it stands is the enemy what happens is because we have blurred that line mm. of of what we do and who we are we get to a point where we start absorbing all those things on the news that we hear. It's a personal attack on me, not a personal attack on this system that we all know is flawed. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a personal attack on me. Not necessarily, <laughs> you know, but again, we have blurred the line or those teachers who feel like teaching is who I am. Mm. No, it's, is it a hugely important thing that you do. It is a dope thing. It is a part of of your gift that that you've been that you're giving the world. But it's not who you are. Mm. You're so much bigger and broader than that. And when we really lean into that and lean into that authenticity of all that we are and bring that to the classroom, one, it enriches our classes, two, it engages our students because we're not teacher, we're human who has, who loves sneakers just like, you know, as a sneakerhead, a sneaker, you know, fetish, just like they have, you know, and we we bring more things to the classroom than I am a teacher and boundaries. That is what, you know, well, no boundaries. So that's one of the things. 
Mm. And again, I did not have that. I didn't have that. So would you say, and, and this is what I wonder too, like, would you say that you had the savior mindset? Yeah. A, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. Which is why I bucked when, I don't know if you remember during um, COVID. I think it happened right, probably right before COVID, but definitely during COVID where it was like, teachers are superheroes. You remember that? I don't remember, Do remember that. that. Oh my gosh, it was all over the internet. Teachers are superheroes in every commercial. Superheroes, teachers. Teachers are not superheroes. And mm-hmm. I will fight a tooth and nail to go against that. We're not superheroes. We do heroic things. But superheroes give of themselves without regard at all. Like they are the first one to rush into the burning building without thought. Um, There's this idea of, what's the phrase? Um, Teaching is like a candle. It consumes itself to light the way for others. Mm. But if I consume myself, what's left? What's yeah. left for my loved ones? What's left for me? Right. I'm not a superhero. Mm. I'm not mm. a super, I can't be a superhero. Mm. Um, and these children don't need to be saved. Mm. They need to be given tools. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I think... And I and I think that is now I don't know how um how it is in other places, but I know for sure when it comes to like schools, especially in, in low income communities, and maybe it this is uh that, that savior mindset is in other spaces as well. But I just know typically, you know, you know, in, in poor schools, you know. And people have when people have so many different like traumatic experiences or, you know, they're poor or they, you know, their father is not in their life or they've been through abuse or, you know, it's. It's quite normal for some uh, teachers to like have this thing where they have to be their savior and I'll even share like a real honest experience. I remember, you know, I was a little bit younger and. I remember I was I really liked this this young lady, this girl that I was talking to, right? And crazy thing is I was trying to save her because she had so much trauma and I thought that I was her savior. And immediately like maybe after a year I eradicated that mindset and said, I can't save anyone. I can help somebody. And I think what you said you had a point you can give people the tools, and I mean I, that that applies to education. You give people the tools and resources, but that person has to individually want to get the healing. They have to individually individually want to get the help in order for their life to to change the way they want to change. Like I can't, I don't believe in wanting it more than somebody. Like you know, when I go and sub, the reality is when I go and substitute. And I'm teaching, you know, whatever the, the teacher has left. There are some students where I've tried to encourage them and motivate them, but they don't want it. You know, some people, there are some people like no matter what you say and do, they just don't want it. And it's like, and I feel like for me, I'm not going to 
like burn myself out and 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 run myself to the ground to try to I don't know like save them. But of course, I'm gonna encourage them, you know, provide them and help them and things like that. But I'm not going to like just burn myself out to save everybody because I mean, I just I don't think that's realistic to save everybody. I think like more so helping and providing people with the tools. So absolutely, absolutely. I am one of my business coaches. uh, She says this all the time. Once you've been exposed, you can't be unexposed. Mm. You know, once you've been exposed to something great, you can't you know, it's there. You know, you can't forget about it. And I, I see that as one of the crucial jobs of teachers. Mm. Not saving, but exposing. Yeah. Exposing yeah, our young people. And it may take two, three, four times for them to see it, for them oh, yeah. to start believing that this can happen to me too. And that's why, you know, I, I think it's important for affinity groups and, and things like that and for, you know, t- students to be able to see black male students to be able to see black male teachers oh yeah for you sure. know, and and you know just affinity spaces to see that i can be smart mm. and i can be dope and i can be a sneakerhead all in one. Oh yeah for sure <laughs> like that can that can be i don't have to be a certain thing i don't have to be what the um what i see on tv you mm. know the stereotypes that i i see and I hear in the media and, 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 and music, I can be who I am and be dope. Right, right, right. And I think I think that exposure, that exposure is so is so essential, man. I know I will, I don't know if you know this guy named um Dr. Eric Thomas. Mm. I remember man, I remember when I was younger, I had no idea I wanted to get into it. Education was the last thing that was on my mind. Like, of being a teacher, I was just focused on, like, literally just getting paid. Because I, before I even got into, went, like, got back into school to become, like, a school psychologist, because that's the goal for me, I was into, um, I was in sales. And I was making just as much as what mm-hmm. teachers are making now in doing mm-hmm. sales, you know. But the thing that caught me was, one of the people was when I saw Dr. Eric Thomas when I when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's dope! Like mm-hmm. he got the cap on, he got the the hoodie on, and this man sounds competent, intelligent, yeah. and he make and he's like an educator, and he's inspirational, and he's you know wealthy. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I want to be. So I think like to to your point, I think that exposure and when you see people that look like you. And they do it in their own swag, and it's not mm-hmm. like this particular, like it's just this one way, this particular image. Like you gotta have a suit and tie on, yeah. you know. You do it in your own swag, and you can still be competent and intelligent, and people will still accept you for who you are. And when you see people that look like you, it just hits different. It hits different. It's I got passion, but it really does hit different. You hit a point right there, so. Yeah. So yeah. But um, man, it's I I have enjoyed myself for sure. I'm glad. I've enjoyed myself. <laughs> Me too. What would you want to leave with the audience? Um, for 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 educators, what would you what would you want to leave? Um, yeah. just any, any encouraging words about emotional resilience? Anything? Anything? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, again, one of 
the things is knowing and really digging into what you're feeling mm-hmm. and not using a catch-all phrase. Um, one of the ways that I, I did, and we've talked about it, but I did um, uh, create a reflection. And I have a, a course called Write to Create that that's for educators. Um, so I, I do professional development. I have this course, Write to Create, and then I do retreats. And so um, the retreats are, are, again, all the same. We use the magic framework um, to boost our emotional resilience. Um, but creative reflection is really a good thing, like sitting down and getting back to um, those creative exploits that you used to do. Mm. You know, did you used to write poetry. Did you love writing poetry? Mm. Dig back in, dig mm. back in, using creativity as a way to wellness. Mm. Um, the same thing that I use with theater. So whatever it is that you do, and it doesn't necessarily have to be traditional art based. Um, I use a lot of mindfulness. M, the M in magic stands for mindfulness. And um, when I say that, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I, I don't meditate. I, I can't, I can't quiet my mind. But do you like to cook? And if you like to cook, is there are there ways that you can, um, and there are ways that you can focus on a sense as you're mm-hmm. cooking, like the the sound of the sizzle, just focusing in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the feel of the water on your hands when you're washing dishes, like literally digging mm-hmm. into that. Um, what that does is it stops that uh, educator hamster wheel that happens where we're just thinking, 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 thinking about everything that we have to do and our mind never gets a break. Mm-hmm. Use those creative exploits. Use those those things that you love to do and find ways to be mindful inside of it. So that would be one of my uh, two <laughs> creative reflection. Um, and if they want to uh, contact me about Right to Create or a a, uh, a retreat, absolutely. But you, you don't have to do those things. You can you can dig into mindfulness on your own. You can dig into creative reflection on your own. Tell them your information. They might they might want to reach out to you. They might they might want they might be like, yo, I, I don't know. I need some 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 inspiration. How can they find you? Tell the people about you, man. Tell, tell, them, the tell people. Them. Tell the people. <laughs> hey. so, so they can uh they can find me on Instagram at sculpted clay. Um, or Facebook, if you're a Facebook person, at ISIS, A-Y-E-S-I-S. Um, and you can also look at my my website. It's www.sculptedclayproductions.com. It has information on the retreat. It has information on the professional development. Um, and yeah, just, just contact me. And even if you're not interested in any of those things, but you just um, are dealing with some, some, some heaviness or dealing with... Um, the weight of the classroom, mm-hmm. you know, reach out, reach out, reach out. And, and I, before we go, I do want to say this. I am not a therapist, but therapy works. <laughs> talk about okay? it, sister. Talk about it. Talk about it. Therapy works. Yeah. Find someone to talk to. Find someone um, to help, to really help you, you um, cope. Yeah, yeah. And I will say kind of to add before we like close things out, um, I've been um, joining this group where we get, it's called Black Male Educators, and I get up with brothers once a month um, on Saturday, and we get up on a call Saturday morning, and we talk about emotional intelligence. It, it blew 
my mind away to just to see brothers um, talk about their mental health. And I will add to what you were saying, like one of the things that it has encouraged me to do was to sit in silence, like no music, you know, no media, nobody else is in my ear. It's just sitting in silence. And you'll be surprised, you know, all the educators, like you'll be surprised at like how big, like not just like focusing on what you can produce, like just to just to imagine it and to dream and to to visualize and to just focus on your mental health, to focus on your well-being. There is something that mag- magical that happens. I promise you, when you sit in silence and when you journal what you're feeling, and then also like you said that therapy too. But sometimes that that one-on-one, like you saying, even when you're cooking, that might be. You just start finding different things to do. Like you'll sit in silence and you might think to yourself, like, wow, I could find other things to do to explore your creativity. And there's freedom in that. Like, don't undermine the 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 cooking. You might find freedom in that. Or even washing dishes, hearing the sound of the water. Like as I get older, crazy thing is I go to the laundromat, and when I go to the laundromat, I like to see to watch the laundromat wash my clothes, just hearing the water. Just seems like it, it takes me to a place where I'm at a lake, you know. So yeah. I'm telling you, don't undermine the mental health. Don't undermine those those little small things. You'll be surprised at where you can go individually and buy a product. You you're you become a better educator overall because you are taking care of yourself because you can't feed off just you you running on E and then you burn out and you you emotionally fatigue and like you wondering why you can't give. How are you giving to yourself? You know, so I'm 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 a big advocate for that. So um, I I just want to say thank you for coming on the Schoolhouse podcast, sharing your wisdom, sharing your insight. I mean, pouring your heart out, sharing some of the traumatic experiences that you've been through and how you was thrown into the fire, you know, at your first job. But hey, still in this field, so it shows like you really have a heart for this, and I appreciate you, and I'm pretty sure. The students, the education community appreciate you. And I just want to give you your flowers. Continue to do what you do. Continue to walk in your purpose. And I wish nothing but the best in all your endeavors. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is so dope. (laughs) So welcome. You are so welcome. That's what it's for, is to provide a safe space for, for the educators. So I just want to thank you. But hey, as we wrap things up, guys. Check us out on the Schoolhouse Podcast. Again, it is always jumping. This is a place, you know, where you guys can listen to educators who have been through real life experiences and they have had strategies and just different things to help them get over the hump and what they're navigating. So this is a space to learn. This is a space to learn. This is a space to grow. So if you've been listening this long, share share it with a friend. Share it on Instagram. Share it on Facebook. Share it with everybody. So that people can know about the Schoolhouse podcast. And hey, it's Mr. Schoolhouse. Peace. And we're out.